We got Dave and Teresa coming up. So you've met everybody. And so we're going to do our drill them with questions here. We're going to use the mic. And then for you guys, Dave and Teresa, this mic, you have to have pretty close to your mouth to really pick anything up. But I'm going to steal this seat and then you can come on over. So we wanted to ask you all just some questions that um, maybe would, you know, we wouldn't cover in a, in a formal session and then kind of get into, just get into some things that either wouldn't be covered or maybe get you to expand on some things that you mentioned within what we've already talked about a little bit would be the goal. So I kind of, I'll pick on certain ones of you at times. This is unrehearsed. They don't know what they're going to, um, what they're going to be asked for the most part. So if we could start just by, you know, as we're talking about counseling, all these different things, could you guys, would you be willing for everybody to answer this question? Uh, what, what are you typically, I mean, if you looked at the whole load of what you're counseling, I mean, what are the things you're counseling the most? What stuff is coming up the most in the counseling that you're doing? It's pretty much been anxiety, panic attacks for the most part. Um, second to that would be maybe pornography and then general marriage issues. I think right now, currently, it's been parenting and marriage quite a bit. Um, when I was in a college town working with younger people, it was a lot of pornography, uh, premarital all the time, it felt like. But right now, it's been more uh, marriage and parenting. And I would say relationships, marriage, and parenting. Uh, young people struggling for direction, um, particularly uh, slothfulness, laziness. Um, <clears throat> um, and uh, parenting, relationships, marriage. Yeah. So. Okay. So definitely some common themes. Yes. Okay. Teresa, can I ask you um, particularly then how are there ways in which you're seeing the counseling that you're doing or your experience of doing some of this counseling as different than what you, I mean, you know a lot about what's going on with the kinds of counseling that Kyle and Joe and Dave are doing. Are you seeing there is sort of how it's different? Well, the main reason how it's different is that it's women. So I am counseling them and um, that's all I counsel. I don't counsel men um, because that, uh, I believe, from scripture wouldn't, wouldn't be biblical. So I'm uh, counseling women and it's, um, it's wonderful. Uh, I can just be with them one-on-one. -on -one. And I can share scripture. I can also just relate as a woman. Um, usually every woman's problem so far that I, I'm like, mm, you know, I mean, I can, <laughs> I guess me too, you know. And so that I, I, I think that's really nice. And then also with Dave, we have done uh, maybe two or three marriages so far to, and we do that together so yeah so that so it would be different i guess in mainly is that i'm just counseling women mm -hmm. okay so, yeah uh joe i want to ask you one particularly because i think this will you know you especially in you know once you went to kenwood and we're taking on so many cases and and again i don't like I'm not fishing for something particular here, but I know that you've taken on some heavy duty stuff, stuff that I would think that most people would hear about and just say, whoa, that's the territory of the professionals. I mean, that's, 
that's where you call in the professional therapist. That's where you got to go get serious help. And, you know, I feel like, again, I'm not fishing for a particular case that I remember you talking about, but I just wondered if you'd be willing to, as we talk about, maybe that's what you typically see. Can you kind of describe generally at all, like some cases that you've taken on that people might normally think would, would not be the territory of biblical counseling? Well, maybe severe panic attacks that someone's going to the ER multiple times on that uh, the world would label more OCD type things as well. Uh, severe bipolar <clears throat> sort of symptoms that they're showing with with psychotropic med addiction kind of going crazy. You know, uh, those you know those sort of things for the most part. Some some Aspergers or people who you know they call it now autism spectrum disorder. That's what the, how the world labels it. So that that would probably be the one I would say is you know people who are on the autism spectrum disorder where normally churches wouldn't want to to do that. And then also the severe panic attacks and the OCD stuff. Uh, most most churches will. Uh, would would prefer to farm that stuff out, right? And then uh, have across the board, have any of you guys dealt with anything that you would consider to be uh, suicide potential in your counseling? Just head nods. No yeah, I mean I, <laughs> that's a little sticky, you know. So you have people who who maybe have made statements that they wish their life would end, it's not worth living, and then that's different than someone who's made plans to do it and is that's imminent. I've not counseled a ton of people who who have plans that that's imminent. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's people who, yeah, I've had you know, suicidal thoughts and so forth, and you treat those differently. So one of the one of the perceptions that if you go fishing for it, you can find it. Don't go fishing for it. But one of the perceptions that you'll you'll find out there is somebody might sort of character caricature eyes biblical counseling is sort of like, here's a Bible verse, now you're okay. Um, now, that's a caricaturization of biblical counseling, which I think, you know, on the face of it, then obviously it shows a low view of the counselor, you know, as somebody who doesn't really care, and also a low view of scripture and its ability to address the problem. But how, can you sort of, can I get you to expand a little bit more when we're talking about some of these hard cases, like how is, how, how are you finding scripture to be sufficient in these kinds of cases to to dig into people's lives. How is it not really just a, a, you know, a heartless, like, here's a Bible verse, you're better now? Yeah, I think that, I think Dave sort of modeled for us earlier uh, what we can do. Biblical counselors don't deny the role of the body. Biblical counselors don't deny the role of civil authorities in our lives. You know, if there's a abuse or sexual assault or something that's gone on, children being abused, uh, that's that's in the realm of, it's not only in the realm of spiritual life where we need to deal with that and confront sin and call to repentance, but that's moved into the realm of the civil authorities as well. So to address the caricature, I would just say, you know, it is a caricature. I've never seen what oftentimes gets mocked as biblical counseling. But I think it's it's doing what Dave did earlier, and it's it's differentiating. Like, okay, what is the spiritual issue at hand here? What's 
even Jay Adams, who has sort of a reputation for being super hard, he says the scriptures are sufficient for every non-organic spiritual problem. So we're trying to discern, um, and sometimes it's not easy, right? Is this is this an organic issue? Um, if it is, it doesn't mean I bail on them and say, well, go see your doctor and we don't have to talk anymore. There's still spiritual issues, even if it's something that, even something like cancer, you're not gonna you're not gonna counsel the cancer away, but there's there's gonna be struggles and issues there that you address the heart. So, um, I think you just want to be wise, and it's good to have other people that are counseling along with you. I will say I know I've been talking for a minute, but I will say if like those if those things kind of scare you, bipolar, autism, and Jo's dealing with a lot of this really really hard stuff, I would say ninety nine percent of stuff that gets sent our way we would consider like general pastoral care that people people need. So don't give up because you're because you're discouraged. Like just keep pursuing how to help people and keep pursuing wisdom from those around you. Um, we just had an experience recently where um, there was a, a couple who when we looked at their PDI, it was kind of intimidating um, just because the types of things they had been through and the types of things they're dealing with, including like psych diagnosis and stuff, even for us, I think, uh, prepared as we are, it was kind of like, whoa, you know, can we counsel these guys? It, it, it was just kind of scary. <clears throat> and we got into counseling with, with them, and they were repentant, humble believers. And <laughs> it, was, it was like, although they're... they're They've had a history that's that's different than most of us. At some level, are still struggling in the same way that we all do, and it was just kind of a reminder that regardless of what the label is, just as I talked about a bit ago, regardless of the label is what the presenting situation is, if they're repentant and they want help, you you have soul care, and scripture is soul care to address, and scripture is sufficient for that. And I think for us, it was just a real reminder that regardless of what it looks like on the surface, like on the PDI, uh, if the people want help and they're repentant, you have help to give to them. Yeah, just I'll add that it hasn't been uncommon for the people that I've counseled to have come with psych, di psych labels, I'm going to call it. And also, if I can just add one more important thing that I forgot about women counseling is very important because I said... Oh, I'm doing it by myself. Like, <laughs> I, no, I just meant that by that, that, that it, it's one-on-one, -on -one, me and another woman, but I am definitely counseling under our church and under the elders of our church. So I'm not really by myself in, and of course, God is the one who's doing the counseling anyway, but, um, by his word, but I just wanted to add that it's under the church, under the elders, so... Wanted to clarify that. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, just along with, as Teresa mentions that, I mean, we have a point in our elder meetings where we, we check in with the counseling that is going on. Like, okay, not to say that we're digging in and having long conversations about what those, what, what's being said, but Kyle lets us know who he's counseling, what his counseling load is, what he's got going on. Dave lets us know what his counseling load looks like, what they've got going on. So it really is... I mean, when Teresa mentions that, it really is on the radar. I mean, you could ask any of the elders, and we know at any given moment basically what Teresa's got going on. 
um, with counseling. So that's not just, she's not just saying that. <laughs> and I just, I just add, Teresa is probably our most requested counselor. So for you, you ladies that are here seeking to, uh, to pursue counseling, uh, oftentimes women are quicker to pursue biblical counseling than men. And so we get requests all the time. Do you have a female counselor? Do you have a female counselor? And so we would just encourage you, keep going, keep studying. There's a huge need for you in the counseling world and in God's church. Dave, I want to address a question to you. Uh, those of you who don't know Dave, um, you know, his qualifications, you've heard, right? They're pretty high. And yet Dave is probably one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. And it's not a, he's not putting it on. It's a, it's a, it's a true humility. And so Dave, I wanted to ask you this question, which will sound funny at first for a guy with uh, an MD and now an MABC, this sounds like a weird question, but I'm good, but it's real. All right. So I know that you genuinely have felt not up to the task of much of the counseling that you've done. Even as you were finishing up your MABC, you sort of felt like, who am I to step into people's lives and, and speak these things and to give this kind of counsel? So as you entered into that process of actually counseling people, not like observed counseling, not like sort of pretend counselees with people who are like, you know, light problems, how did you grow in your comfort and feeling like, oh my God, I can actually, I can actually come alongside this person and I'm up to this task. Like how, how did that growth happen? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I think, um, probably the, the, the thought pattern that I had from being a doctor all those years is that it is about me and about what I do. And so entering counseling, it's kind of like, well, I have to do everything just right in order to be a good counselor. <clears throat> and, this is a process that's obviously still going on, but there's kind of an aha moment when you go, oh, wait a minute, it's, it's God's word that's sufficient, and all I really need to do is, is just take the time to get to know that person, you know, the, the eight eyes, as, as J.O. was talking about, <clears throat> of really getting under the surface and getting to know that person, and then just know enough to take God's word and let the Holy Spirit do its work. And, and, and that, we're talking about it in the parenting thing, it, it's about faithfulness. We just, Teresa and I have talked a lot about that lately. It's not about counseling success. I mean, what, what is that? It, it's about faithfulness. And so I think I, I've grown personally in confidence, and I think Teresa would say the same thing, as we just realized how applicable and practically useful God's word is, and that it it isn't, you know, it's not brain surgery. At some level, you're going to, you know, you can spend the rest of your life learning about it and, and growing in what you know and growing in the, in the scripture that you know to be able to apply to that. But um, you grow in confidence as you understand the confidence is not in yourself, but in God and his work. Okay, so I want to I transition a little bit to, you know, if those are kind of questions about, you, you know, all right, what's it like for you the, as the experts? So what are, these questions are a little bit more uh, thinking in terms of now as people are thinking about trying this out a little bit, right? So we're kind of stepping into the shoes of one who's giving this a shot. Kyle, I want to start with you. You know, when you have somebody who's new to, for example, Reformed doctrine, Calvinist doctrine, uh, they get really excited about it. And then, you know, we call, we call them cage stage Calvinists, right? So they go and they afflict their doctrine on everybody else. And when somebody first gets their hands on like uh, the, the nine marks of a healthy church, then, then we call them nine Marxists. 
because then they go and they afflict the nine marks on everybody else. So my first question for you is, what do we call that person who has gotten their hands on biblical counseling and now they are afflicting it upon everyone else? Is there a name for it? And can I make some nominations today? Oh, if there is, Jeff said, Jeff said he had a question that I'm not allowed to even see ahead of time. And I think that's, that's, the that's one. it. I don't know. <laughs> Charismatic counselors. I don't know. I, I, I got nothing. I was thinking like idol identifiers or like <laughs> idol sniffers. Like they sniff out your idols. Or even I had a good friend in college. He said that his spiritual gift, he was joking. Good friend, joking. Anyway, he said his spiritual gift was he was a humbler. Uh, <laughs> he was there to humble other people. But anyway, so, I liked uh, J.O.'s, you're not a private investigator and they're not ISIS terrorists. That's good that's, too, that's good. Okay, so, so why am I bringing that up though? Because I, I've directed this to Kyle because you were for a lot of times at, at a, at a um, church right next to a seminary where in young guys in a Bible college where people were learning this and, they were, and you've told stories about how they would afflict people with it. So if, you could, if you'd be willing to kind of give it, a sense of a picture of what that can look like when somebody can do damage with this knowledge, you know, no, yeah. you know enough to be dangerous, but then also direct it ultimately positively here to say, how do we not be that? Yeah, how do we sure. guard against that tendency? Yeah. To, to tease out what Jeff was uh, talking about, what the example that I use all the time, and maybe even Jeff had this in mind when he, when he wrote the question was we had a couple in our church really close to my wife and I, they're struggling with, infertility, which is, which is so, so much suffering. You know, J.O. mentioned first says five. I've mentioned in my session, you don't admonish the person who's weeping because they, they so desire to have children. And so this couple's in a small group setting with some of these Bible college guys, and, and they're basically pouring out their hearts. And one of these young guys who I, I'm convinced now would not say this, but he says, your wife just need to, needs to repent of her idolatry. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know why it's such a big deal to me. Um, but, you know, my friend Tyler, when he heard that, he said, that person should only be allowed to read the Psalms for the next year. <laughs> and so I think what happens is you, you get a little bit of that truth, a little bit of what JL's going to discuss with the heart, some idolatry. And man, you just, you want to identify everyone's sin and point it out and call them to repentance. And I, I think maybe the motive behind it is, is they're aiming at something right, but they're so zealous, but not according to knowledge, I think, at times. So, um, you know, I think one of the most helpful things you can do for somebody is allow them to sit in with you in counseling. You know, I, I've been in counseling, and and at the end they say, man, I can't believe you didn't, like, correct her when she said this. And, and I say, listen, if I corrected every wrong thing I heard in the first two or three sessions, we wouldn't get anywhere. You know, it's, it's triage, right? You're, you're deciding, all right, what can I, what can I handle now? What, what can I handle in session eight or nine? Um, you know, if I hear they're reading bad authors, I might just say, listen, let's just stop reading everything you're reading and focus on the homework. So I don't have to go ham on whoever they're reading, Stephen Furtick or whatever. It's like, listen, just stop, and I will tell you what to read, and let's focus on this for the next 12 weeks. And, and the Lord works some of that stuff out over the course of counseling. Was there another question in there that I missed? Well, just, no, because I was looking for that, like, vision of how do we, how do we avoid that at a certain level. So I think you're oh, yeah, you I think, more on that. But. I think J.O.'s categories earlier, you're dealing with sinners, sufferers, 
in a broken world and those who have been sinned against, right? And so just acknowledging that, that not everyone needs the hammer to come down on them. Um, some people need encouragers. And I said in my breakout that, that we all tend to lean one way or the other. Some of us are really good admonishers. Um, some of us are more encouragers. Some of us are really good at upholding the weak and just those who are hard to love, you, you just find yourself around them. And so we've got to have, have wisdom and courage, wisdom to, to discern who we're dealing with and what they need, and courage to do what doesn't come naturally to us. I can ask another question, but I didn't know if anybody else wanted to jump in on the heels of any of that. So, okay, uh, J.O., can I ask you, kind of in that same, slightly same vein, you know, you, maybe more than anybody else I've ever met, are willing to sort of, like, walk into the line of fire and say hard things. But they're not, like, rude things. They're, like, the things that everybody else wouldn't want to say. So, I mean, is the kind of person who will take somebody out take a guy out for coffee, and then ask them if they're struggling with pornography. Uh, I don't think that's happening a lot, I don't, you know, on guys getting coffee together. And so, but J.O.'s willing to go there, right? So, but I also know, those of you, if you've, you know, you've watched, you've heard J.O. talk, he's not somebody who uh, just doesn't really give a hoot what anybody thinks either. So I guess I wonder, like, J.O., can you speak to how you've built the courage to be willing to walk into the get down in the mud and walk into the line of fire and that kind of stuff? Because I know it's not, you're not going to convince me that it's just like, I've never cared about what people think. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's kind. I think, you know, you're trying to figure out where you're at relationally with that person, you know, so that can the relationship handle it? And some relationships I have with people I know that, we're not there relationally to be able to handle it. So that's where I like spending gobs of time with people. I might meet four sessions. and that might, So that might be eight hours, seven hours, something like that. I've already met with them that many times before I say something very hard. I might have saw it first time they opened their mouth. But I don't mention it until, you know, way into it. We already have a relationship. I've already proven that I love them and I'm there for the long haul by the fact that I have spent so much time with them right? <clears throat> and followed up and asked them questions. And, and they've gotten to see, hopefully, that I, that I care for them. Um, so I think that's kind of the main thing, that Ephesians uh, 4.15, speak the truth in love. Always check in your own heart. Am I saying this just to, uh, you know, just to be a judge and say guilty? Or am I saying this because I actually want them to, to move on. And that, that's hard, you know, so I think especially when you're dealing with college students and seminarians who kind of think they know everything. So always trying to make sure that you are speaking the truth in love. So that means you need to pre be praying for them, pray before you say it, and really be reluctant before you say anything and hopefully having the conversation in your head with the Lord. Do I really need to say this? So... Um, okay, so this might, I mean, Joe, you mentioned this, you, you drew the distinction earlier about formal and informal counseling. You know, you kind of gave the picture of form, informal being two folks out for coffee, just talking, 
encouraging one another as best as I can. Formal being now we're, we're sitting down intentionally, maybe signing homework. Is that a fair representation? Okay, so that asked. So a lot of folks are going to be be informally counseling or in, inform. That's sort of a natural thing to have happen. I mean, that happens at potluck. Uh, how do you how, how do you start to understand when a formal starts to be needed? How do we know when this that might actually be more of what this person needs than just me going out to coffee with them? How, whether it be you know, whether it is you know trying to recommend they do it with you or whether you want to push them in that direction. Like, where is that kind of balance point? How do you how do you detect it, knowing that it's going to be different in different cases? That's a, <clears throat> a good question. I think it kind of comes with experience to some degree. So I'll meet with somebody. If they haven't asked for formal counseling, but the way they describe something, I might just say, because it might be easier for them than, hey, here's forms to fill out and, and then give them to me. I might just say, hey, let's just meet for coffee. Let's meet for lunch. And then when we're talking, as I'm asking questions and finding out the situation, if it's going to be more than like a one-off, then I would say, you know, brother, I think from hearing you, you would really benefit from kind of a formal process of counseling. Here's what it looks like. Maybe would you pray about meeting with me seven times? And, you know, we would, you know, I'd give you homeworks. It'd be kind of tailored to that. And I think based on what you said, here's why I think it would be helpful, beneficial to, to meet those seven times. We can reevaluate it at the seventh meeting or, or after that, maybe we'll go more, or maybe we'll be done, or maybe it's not a good fit, or you don't have time for it. I'm going to gravitate towards the formal because I think they're very, I think they're help with the homeworks. I don't think anything I do with that person one-on-one -on -one is very impressive. I think people sitting in would be kind of like, <laughs> he's not a very good counselor. I'm just willing to wade in, but I do think the homeworks and tailoring that to exactly, I think, hopefully what they need is what's going to be most helpful. They'll take it a little bit seriously, a little more serious. And then I'll also take it more serious and I'll get to know them better through their forms and kind of that formal process that I'm not going to take those forms. I'm not going to have my books and everything in the coffee shop, plus other people around. And, you know, if it's a, it's, if it's, you know, an issue, say on the, on the sexual side of things and sexual struggle, we don't want to have that in the coffee shop with somebody, you know, sitting right next to me, just trying to have a nice cup of coffee. <laughs> so you kind of figure out like, oh, this one probably lets me, you know, and then it depends on them. If they don't want to do it, then I'll just meet. I'll get, you know, I'll go with whatever they give me. I think that coffee shop thing works better in uh, Louisville than it does in Custer. You're seeing Custer, you're like, do you hear what John said? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't, anyway, sorry. <laughs> they won't care in Louisville what you did say. So. Yeah, there you go. Kyle, is there, could you, uh, could I spin that question into the idea of pastorally? You, you know, is there, are there ways in which you can sort of nudge someone toward counseling when you see someone in church who maybe looks like they could benefit from a little uh, particular attention? Yeah, so I was just recently meeting with somebody and it started out like, let's just do breakfast, you know? So we're meeting and we're eating breakfast and we ran into exactly what Jay was talking about. It just, it quickly became like, man, I, we really need to go places that we can't go right now. And there's books I want to be reading with you and passages I want to be studying with you. And so, um, I think it was actually a relief to him when I was like, Hey, let's, Let's move this to my office. Let's let's make sure it's happening every week at this time. And and yeah, the homework and all of that. And so 
I think the coffee shop is a place where you're, you're gaining their trust and gaining involvement. Uh, and then when you move into the, the more formal counseling, you've done a lot of that groundwork already. You can sort of dive into um, some of that other, you know, the session four stuff that J.O. was getting into earlier about instruction and uh, start assigning homework, homework and things like that. So, uh, Dave and Teresa, could I sort of spin the question toward you um, in a slightly different direction to say, where have your counseling, the, the people that you're counseling, how, has, how have these things come to be? Like, how are, how are you being connected with the people that you're counseling? Um, well, various ways. Uh, I, I think the ACBC website is one that somehow people learn about that. And then I think just personal referral, also just, just knowing me and that we went through this counseling thing and friends, I guess that goes under personal referral. Uh, maybe Kyle. So I think that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that answer yours too, Dave? Okay. Same thing? Okay. All right. So let me ask this question. Maybe this will especially be just for your extended experience of Kyle and J.O., although jump in, Dave and Teresa, if you have it. Uh, when is it not working? How do you know it's not working? And um, what do you do if it's pretty clearly falls into that category? Like it's, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. I think there's a couple easy checks early on. Um, one and this is norm normally for people that aren't members of our church, but if they're not willing to sort of fill out the PDI and sort of take the initial step or, um, you know, I'm not sure you actually have a counselee yet that is willing to hear and wanting to hear. And I think, you know, when you're getting certified and you're like pursuing people and asking them if they will counsel with you, you deal with that, right? You may not have a counselee because you're like begging them. I need 50 hours. <laughs> and so... I think there's some of that. If they're not putting forth the initial step that would get counseling started. Um, now with members, one of the things that makes biblical counseling unique is you can chase people um, that may not want counseling or be pursuing counseling. Well, you know, members we're going to go after. Um, so there's the PDI. Obviously, homework becomes a huge check as well. And I don't know if J.O. has a specific policy. I, I, I don't have like a specific, if you don't do your homework, this number of sessions were done. But it just feels like if they're not willing to put in the effort during the week, um, especially, you know, when you've got people sort of waiting to receive counsel. Um, so, so I think homework becomes a test as to whether it's, it's working, so to speak. Um, but I would just encourage you that you don't know really what the Lord is up to. You know, it could be two years from now when you get a call and they say, hey, I know I know, I had a hard heart. You know, I just had a, a youth group member that I've stayed in contact with. Um, he's probably 27, called me and said he got saved. And you just don't know what, what the Lord's doing. So, um, yeah, just... You have to be faithful and leave the results to the Lord. You can't change hearts. Yeah, I mean, with the homework, if they don't do the homework, I'll just say, you know, because I've never charged for counseling. I've been paid 
by the local church that I've been serving, you know, being on a full, full-time staff doing counseling. So they don't have like a money, a money issue involved that they're wasting money where maybe they would take it more serious. So if they don't do the homework after, you know, whatever the time frame is that I think that they should have been doing it, I'll just say, all right, when you get the homework done, give me a call. And that might just be the natural way for them to be out of it. Or we just kind of figure out that you're done. Uh, for me, you know that cartoon of the pelican that swallowed the frog and then frog reaches out through the pelican's throat and then squeezes the neck and then it says, never give up. <clears throat> That's pretty much me with my counselees. Like I, I never give up with them. You know, I'm pretty... You know, that's my spiritual gift is uh, pursuing and, and uh, being a bulldog with people. And uh, so normally they'll quit on me where they'll just either just, I had some, some, someone just recently say, hey, you know, we're doing marriage counseling. He's like, I don't want to do counseling more right now. So they'll just tell me that or say, hey, I'm just not ready for it. And so then we'll stop. But Typically, I'll try to hang in there with them as long as possible, especially if they're doing the homework. You know, if they're not doing the homework, then that's when I'll stop them and say, when you get it done, let me know. And then they might just not, you know, get back with me. But there are some that I can think of that I've met with 20 times, which is a bunch for me. And, you know, we weren't progressing as well as maybe I would like to have, but we're still meeting and some people struggle through life and have a myriad of problems, and we're just, I'm not going to fix all their problems. And so I'll try to pass them off to someone else in the congregation to kind of disciple them. If it's a lady that I'm meeting with, with me and Dana, try to get her meeting with another elder's wife or something or another elder to kind of free up my load if it's a person who just has one issue after another and we kind of fix some things. So I'll sort of think along those lines. Jay Adams has a book called uh, Christian Counselor's Manual, and in the back it has, I don't know, I think like 50 reasons or 20 reasons or whatever of uh, possible counseling failures. And that's just good to kind of look at. When I first started counseling, I Xeroxed that and put it under the plexiglass on my desk and would check that. One of them is they might not be a believer. And, you know, in 20 years of doing this or, you know, somewhere like that, that's been, you know, I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm not omniscient. I don't know their heart for sure. I'm just looking at fruits. And a lot of times that's why things haven't worked out. Joe, if you hang on to the mic there, because I'm going to start with you on this one. But then I also, this is not just for the two pastors here, Dave and Teresa, if you want to think about this question too. Because I'd like to know how, because kind of switching around a little bit and thinking about the life of the church and biblical counseling. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on how, we have, we've had an emphasis on biblical counseling here for a while. I mean, J.O. kind of helped have that emphasis. But how has that emphasis on uh, biblical counseling affected the life of the church? How does it influence the life of the church? And in one sense then, how has it kind of affected the, the, the culture of this specific church? And that's why I say Dave and Teresa would still value your input. No, you're not pastors, but you've been to other churches and lived in as members of other churches. And so I just wondered if you could kind of, if it's possible to articulate the connection between the emphasis on biblical counseling and the culture of the local church. So you're asking how you influence the local church or? I guess, how, how does this emphasis influences? on biblical counseling influence the culture of the local church? I think it, you know, I was talking to one brother, it's a philosophy of ministry, so 
honestly, I'm a little uncomfortable even calling it biblical counseling and talking about counseling and saying, well, when counseling, I do this. I mean, it's discipleship. It's just what, what the local church does. Um, biblical counseling is focused discipleship, where regular discipleship, maybe you wouldn't have homeworks and those sort of things. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an arm of progressive sanctification in the local church. So it's a philosophy of ministry where you're just balancing what you're learning from the Word and then what you ought to be doing with that knowledge. And it blends the two together. And so if you, are, if you understand that, then it's going to influence your preaching. You know, you're preaching with an eye towards application. And because you're meeting with people, hearing their problems, your application as a preacher is tailored to that and it's specific. Some preachers, they're great on the theology. They can explain the text, but then they just can't apply it. They don't know what's going on in the church, what people need, what they're struggling with. And so it kind of misses there. So if you have that understanding, it affects the preaching. It affects what the Sunday school classes are. I think, you know, talking about the one another commands and the members of the church counseling each other, admonishing and encouraging and just doing the one another commands, speaking the truth in love, those are all commands giving to, given to each Christian in that local church that they're to be doing on each other. So when that is explained, and then when they see it modeled and we see, when they see the elders doing that one-on-one on ministry and taking it and making it important, then people start to see like, oh, I can talk to people about it. And there's no stigma on, oh, I'm meeting with J.O. And so it really needs kind of an all-hands-on-deck effort. Here, when we were first starting, you know, I brought it into Sunday schools, encouraged people to go to conferences. Where I'm at now, there was a little bit of controversy bringing me in where uh, people didn't want biblical counseling. They had bad experience with it before or whatever. And so what, what I chose to do was just show them. They were skeptical. I just started counseling people, and we stopped farming out counseling cases, and so it kind of started coming in. Now, by God's grace, we're getting a reputation of being able to help people with problems. And those folks are kind of coming. Other churches are referring people. Uh, Really, like, the church will have a situation where husband and wife are kind of estranged. She puts a uh, protection order against the husband. Now he can't come to church. So they're saying, oh, go to J.O.'s church. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I think that's, you know, just by doing it. And then that reputation hopefully percolates within the body and then sometimes even outside. Yeah, I think it's the, the pastors, elders, and, and the body understanding what God has described ministry as, you know, and in Ephesians chapter 4, I think the work of ministry is speaking the truth and love to one another. You know, in our church... Somebody has to make the coffee in the morning. Somebody has to run the nursery. But we, we wouldn't say that's Ephesians 4 type ministry. Those are important ways to serve the body. But specifically in Ephesians 4, you have pastors given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, and so that we're speaking the truth in love and growing up into Christ together. And so the, the word that came into my mind as, as Jerry was talking is, okay, we can't settle as, as elders for something less than God's vision for the local church. And the body can't settle for something less. Because I think what happens is, um, 
probably from the top down, pastors will just kind of settle for like, okay, I'm the one that's paid to do all the ministry, and it is what it is. I'll just, you bring the people to the church, I will preach to them. You know, I probably can't counsel because, um, you know, this is sort of our, our philosophy. But, you know, if, if a pastor views his role and, and elders as equipping the saints to do that sort of ministry, and the body can see that this is something that God has called them to. Even when I worked with teenagers, I'd say, listen, I'm not the only one in the room called to ministry. Like, I need, I need you, and you, and you need me. And so it, it's, it's capturing God's view of what the local church is, is meant to be and just sort of relentlessly um, pursuing that. I think, you know, obviously a lot of this started under J.O., but going to elder retreat and like, is there anything we're doing that's undermining our main mission? Well, let's get rid of it. Let's strip it, strip it away. Is it a ministry? Is it something we're doing? Like everything's on the table every year. Um, and we want to just consider, are we doing what God has called us to do? So, Well, being on the other side of that equation, you guys are the ones leading this and us kind of coming in. It was kind of the question <clears throat> nine years ago. And uh, churches we had been to, I mean, you know, the, the public ministry of the word is kind of a, a given. Uh, you always go and you always hear preaching, and I think that's what we were used to. And, um, you know, we live 45 minutes away, and for nine years now we've been driving 45 minutes to church. And it's kind of like, why in the world would you do that? I ask myself that question sometimes. Nobody in Rapid understands. No, I know, <laughs> especially not Mr. Sheehy here. But, um, but um, when, when, when I think back, you know, we came with the idea we would just visit the Osterlings one time, and then we came back the next Sunday, the next Sunday, and it's like, why did we do that? And there was something intangible happening here that, that now we can look back and kind of know what that was, but we didn't have, you know, I, when I first heard the term biblical counseling, I thought it was an oxymoron, right? I mean, I, it's like biblical and counseling, those two words don't go together. I didn't know anything about it, but <clears throat> there was a kind of private ministry of the word that was going on here that was, that was compelling to us, and it was attractive to us, and made us, not just us, but our kids who were all in their teens at the times, at the time, want to come back here. And then as, as, we, as time went on, we found out, oh, biblical counseling and kind of what that is, but it's not, it's not just counseling. I, and I was telling you know, people at lunch today, it's like the word counseling kind of throws us off, right? Because there's so many connotations to that. But it is just the private ministry of the word. And you know, it's like Mr. Sheehy here is not a certified counselor, but does as much counseling as anybody in the church because he's constantly, constantly pouring into people and, and getting to know people and sharing scripture with them. And so, like I say, it's just a culture. And, and we felt that culture when we came here, and which is why we're still driving 45 minutes every Sunday um, to church. Yeah. yeah, and I'll just quickly add, I remember J.O. just telling us early on, you know, well, biblical counseling is just, a, it's just a way to love people. And it, that that's just so true. It's that philosophy of the church, loving each other. And that's what is very, drew us to this church and um, okay, so then we think about you, you drew attention to certification. So, so is anybody I don't know who wants to take this idea? You, you half answered the question anyway, but we think about the importance of certification. How crucial is certification? Um, 
or maybe the question would be, for whom is certification important? And for those who, who look at what certification is and think, uh, should, should they go down that process a bit anyway? I mean, what would be your recommendation to people as they're sort of looking at, out at the expanse and saying, huh, now what? How should they think about certification? Yeah, that's a good question. Because um, you guys all have your MABC. This is the hardest way to do it, right? There is an easier way to do it than what these four did uh, in becoming certified counselors. And I'm very seriously. Yeah, it's still a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, you, you'll hear us in the conference. We'll keep saying whether you want to do formal or informal. And the reason we do that is we don't want to have this sort of, the, what we've been trying to undermine is this top-down professional client sort of idea so we want to equip one of the reasons we do this is to equip people to do the work of the ministry and so whether somebody wants to be certified or not we want to equip them but i would say if you have the time and the desire you should seek certification you know not everybody has the time it, it is time consuming it is difficult but growing and being equipped can only benefit you and those who are around you that would be that would be my counsel now like i said i we don't make a huge pitch at this conference because certification is not the be all end all. But if you have the time, you have the desire, I would say go for it and you can evaluate along that process, whether it's working for you and your family or not. Um, but you will never be hurt by learning how to counsel. Yeah. You know, I just, as Kyle was talking, I was thinking, if there was no such thing as secular counseling, if Freud never came along, we wouldn't have this thing called biblical counseling. Uh, the churches were, the pastors, uh, Christians were already doing this stuff before. So biblical counseling is really a response to what has happened in society and really worldwide. It's in every country right now. People think they need counseling. So because they think they need counseling, we have an opportunity to take what they think that they need and and help them out. And I hope you understand what I'm saying uh, in that. So because of that, getting certified, if somebody wants to do it more and they're gifted, not everybody, you know, I talked with a few brothers over lunch and during the breaks, not everybody has the capacity or the desire to spend six hours a day, three days a week counseling people. Um, so not everyone's going to want to do it to the same level degree or to the level, but if someone does want to do it more and enjoys that ministry, then, you know, certification is just a way to kind of link up somebody who, who wants to be counseled with someone who they think like, oh, they're equipped to counsel. So having a certification, having a master's degree, whatever it is, can encourage people in a society that, that values education and, and certification and makes that happen. So a lot of the counseling that I did before I went to the church I'm at now happened because of a website that ACBC, you know, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors put on their website saying, hey, this person's certified. And I just thought, you know, I kind of looked at it as a drug deal. You know, it's like this person is calling me so I get to share the gospel with them. And I didn't even have to go anywhere. I'm not the best street <laughs> evangelist. I just put my name on that little deal and they come talk to me and I get to share the gospel with them. And, and uh you know, try to disciple them. So it's beneficial for that reason. It's beneficial for a church to know, like with, with Dave and Teresa, it's beneficial for Southern Hills to have them here. So, you know, for Kyle, as he's preaching each week, preparing sermons, 
something blows up in the church, there's a marriage issue. He knows he's got somebody that, that's not going to be scared to walk into that, knows kind of like a process, understands uh, meetings week in and week out. Most pastors, they're fine doing a one-off or a two-off. But you kind of go beyond that, they're like, I don't know what to do with them after that. So, you know, they've just been equipped and had the chance to counsel with a fellow who's kind of observing what they're doing. That's, it's a hoop, hoop to have them jump through so that Kyle can feel pretty confident in sending something that is fairly severe to them. I like the certification because it slows down people who are really eager and it helps me sort of sift through who I'm going to have help in that ministry. Really, even if they have a master's degree, I'd rather them just do certification. Um, but then there's some people, a lot of our elders are great counselors, and they aren't certified, but we still ask people who want to be involved in the discipleship counseling ministry uh, to go ahead and get certified because it allows a fellow to vet them and listen and see if they even understand the Bible well as they're applying it. And so I kind of use them as my tool and as a help, help for me. So I had another question, but I've lost track of what time that ended. So I'm going to tell you what the question was, and then you can ask them sometime. Because <laughs> what I wanted to, I want what I wanted to do is too was you know um, to get you to admit if each of you are willing to admit an area that your your weakness, you know, the thing that you struggle with in counseling. Um, or that you struggle against that sometimes makes you not a great counselor, and so you're praying for help in that area. And I know that they all would have answered the question. Um, and there are definitely, all of them could answer the question too, right? Is that fair? I mean, head nod, yeah. So um, dare to ask them that question too, because um, nobody's perfect, like Dave said it, nobody's going to be perfect at counseling. And um, you're just trying to connect people with the Holy Spirit. I want to piggyback on Dave's, and then I'm going to pray. One of the amusing things, you know, teaching in public school, I hear a lot of people say things. There's a lot of events, things like commencement, right? And people want to say something really important and profound. And they just, they, they knock themselves out trying to say something profound. And, and, they, and sometimes they come really close. And it's so funny to me, again and again and again and again, to listen to them strain to say something important. Because we come here every Sunday, and you go to your church every Sunday, and you open the Bible, and you read a sentence, and you just outstripped everything that they just strained themselves to say at commencement. Because it was God's word to us. And so just opening up God's word and just reading it. So I come here and I teach it, and everybody's like, wow, that was so amazing. Yeah, that psalm was amazing. And that's what they mean when they said it, right? I mean, it's, you, you expose what the word says, and people are blown away by it. And it wasn't, all you did was essentially read it and be like, this is the sense of it. And then everybody's like, wow, because yeah. <laughs> and, and you're articulating a lot of that in, in the counseling room too. So let's pray, and then I took a, we took a little more of the break, but yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, your goodness to us and giving us your word again. And uh, we ask that you would continue to give us the humility to approach your word, um, knowing that it is your word that needs to shape us, not us that needs to somehow shape your word. And we ask that you would give us that, that the softened hearts to do so. We ask that your spirit would lead us in that way. And we ask that your spirit would go forward before us if we dare to open our mouths and apply that scripture to someone else's life. May we do so with the power of the Holy Spirit and in line with your word as best as we can understand it. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.